CBS Sports presents the Pick 6 Podcast, featuring CBS NFL writers Pete Prisco and Will Brinson, NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, and host Nick Costos. You want NFL talk? We've got NFL talk. From training camp to the Super Bowl and through the NFL draft, our fearsome foursome has you covered. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Nick, Will, and Pete here on a football Wednesday. We're going to get into our Vegas trip. Game of Thrones discussion from Sunday night. But given that we are an NFL podcast, we should probably open with some football, Mr. Will Brinson. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we could talk Vegas or football. We are Vegas or Thrones. I mean, we mentioned... You sold that so well just now. That was excellent. I know, right? We mentioned uh, Vegas on the last podcast, told Jason some stories. Jason knocked before had a crazy travel story. But we will get to the Vegas stuff first. Uh, the Zeke Elliott stuff is getting pretty wild out there in the uh, the old NFL world. Multiple updates from the Zeke Elliott situation. As you know, as everybody knows, he was suspended six weeks, six games. He's going to miss the first six weeks of the Cowboys season. Interestingly, his schedule, his uh, hearing has been scheduled for August 29th, his appeal hearing, because he obviously you know filed an appeal. Harold Henderson set as his arbitrator to hear that appeal. And you remember Harold Henderson from such appeals as Greg Hardy. Uh, Greg Hardy got suspended 10 games by the NFL. It was reduced to six. I think with the uh, selection of Henderson, there are several people who believe that, you know, this could be a situation where Zeke ends up getting four games. Pete, you hear anything? You think, you, would you be surprised if we got bumped down to four? Or do you think we see it end up uh, sticking at six for Zeke Elliott? No, I think it'll get bumped out eventually, but this thing has gotten ugly between the NFL and the NFLPA. I mean, that was you know, my, I was NFL, about to, well, no, no, I was about to, I was, I was going to, yeah, the NFL sent out a, a, a message today saying that the NFLPA has leaked information related to the Elliott case, kind of damning, uh, the victim in the case. And, and, you know, if that's the case, it's, and they have no, they haven't said they had proof of that at all, but if that's the case, that's really bad. A, um, but you can understand where Elliott's camp is coming from. He's got some high-priced, high-powered attorneys, and they're going to fight for him and, and try to do everything they can. This is an ugly situation. Yeah. Either way you shake it down, it's an ugly situation. Because if it happened the way the NFL has outlined it happened, and I don't know if you guys read the note, the letter, but if, they, if it happened in three different instances where there was enough bodily harm to put bruises on that woman, then six games, four games, clearly not enough. But if it didn't happen, and we don't know that, we don't know how that played out, but if it didn't happen, and, and this is getting pushed and there's a lot of stuff being leaked out to make this victim look like she's um, you know, not stable and not reliable and not credible, which I think is unfair to the victim, if, but if it didn't happen, uh, then it's really unfair to him. So it's a bad, bad situation. If he did it, I think if he did this, six games isn't enough. He should be gone for the entire year. Wow. Uh, the statements, by the way, first from Joe Lockhart, NFL Executive Vice President of Communications. Over the past few days, we've received multiple reports of the NFLPA spreading derogatory information to the media about the victim in Ezekiel Elliott discipline case. It's a common tactic to attempt to prove the innocence of the accused by discrediting the victim, in this case, Ms. Thompson, when coming forward to report such abuse. Common or not, these tactics are shameful. Efforts to shame and blame victims are often what prevent people from coming forward to report violence and or seek help in the first place to which the nflpa responded the public statement issued on behalf of every nfl owner is a lie 
The NFLPA categorically denies the accusations made in the statement. We know the league office has a history of being exposed for its lack of credibility. This is another example of the NFL's hypocrisy on display and an attempt to create a sideshow to distract from their own failings in dealing with such serious issues. They should be ashamed for stooping to new lows. So basically, the NFL said, we're going to come full guns blazing. And as the NFLPA said, hold my beer. Guys, I, well, I, I can say that. Nick, I've never, let me I've just interject, there, interject here real quick. The NFLPA didn't include me on any of that uh, leaking stuff because uh, they clearly they know that I'm I've never been a big proponent of the union. I just think that they got a crappy deal for their for their players, and that's why Roger Goodell has all the power in the first place. Why do you think he has it? Because they collectively bargained it that way, and that's why he has the power. A hundred percent. I mean, it's the worst labor deal in the history of labor deals. Um, as Drew Brees sits back and you know probably drink a daiquiri or a mojito right now for all the money he got holding out longer. The players obviously got screwed in that deal. There's no question about it. When I first saw Will and Pete, the NFL statements, I've never seen anything like this. And there has been a lot of points of contention between these two sides and clearly no love lost. But this from Joe Lockhart, it's one thing for it to come from the NFLPA, but to come from the National Football League with the shield on top of the press release and to say that the NFLPA was purposefully trying to to discredit the victim and then saying at the end, basically pointing at them and going, this is shameful what you've tried to do and what you're doing could prevent further victims from coming out and speaking. I mean, this is not normal. This was not legalese. It feels like we have crossed over here from the courtroom to the theater of the bazaar. I, I like. I guess in the year 2017, as crazy as everything is, we shouldn't be that surprised. But, man, like, I did not expect that from the National Football League. That was a legitimate stunner, jaw-dropper for me to see that press release, Will. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, you go back to 2011 and, and look at some of the things that they were doing in the, in the, in the lockout, and maybe it's not entirely stunning because these people do, you know, they just don't, the two sides don't get along. I will say that what is fascinating about how this unfolds to me from, at least from a larger scale perspective, not, you know, ignoring the, of course, the horrible issue of domestic violence and ignoring the very specific things involved in this case is that this discipline, once again, right, we're 2017. Once again, discipline is becoming a major issue and it's going to be a major issue when they negotiate the next collective bargaining agreement. So is marijuana. And I think that you're ultimately going to see the players get another raw deal because they try and fix the discipline, try and fix the, the marijuana issues, try to fix the drug testing stuff, and don't end up worrying about salary stuff. And they'll be – that's just my hunch, you know, several years out. But I, I think because of the, the way that this unfolded this year and the way that the Tom Brady stuff unfolded last year, it wouldn't be surprising. Well, the, the NFL will trade uh, Roger Goodell's power in the discipline area for uh, extra games. For games. Exactly. You watch. Yep. You know, that's what's good. It's a bargaining chip. That's why they're already talking about allowing marijuana to be, uh, you know, be, be no test for marijuana and suspend players for marijuana. That's a bargaining chip. There's all these bargaining chips that are already thrown out there. The bottom line is Richard Sherman and, and all the other players can talk all they want about having a strike and having, you know, not showing up and everything else. There are only so many earning years in your body. And for a lot of guys, yeah, Richard Sherman would have the power to do that. But what about the guys that are better minimum, just hoping for the chance to make a roster? Or even a guy who's hanging on, trying to get another year. These guys aren't going to sit out. They're not going to sit out seasons. Back in the day, they fought for free agency. That was a major issue. They wanted to move, and that's one of the reasons why they had to strike. There's, what are they fighting for for this strike? For better wages? Well, come on, give me a break. 
What are they fighting for? Not, not having more work time? They already got that. What are they fighting for? They don't, to, to smoke pot, the NFL will give that them. The, the bottom line is there's nothing really to strike for, and they won't strike. They, 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 it's not the NBA. You can sit out an NBA season at, when you're 19 years old and still have plenty of years to earn guaranteed money over the course of your career. You can do that in baseball over the course of your career. You're not going to do that in the NFL because there's only so many earning years in your body, and they know it. I mean, I, I don't. I, I think that the 18 game schedule, and we're off on a little bit of a side tangent here, but I think that's. I don't think that the players are going to go for the 18 game schedule, and I think that's 17. I mean, 18. I don't. I don't think there's going to be any extra games added. I don't see the players going for that. They'll get there. They'll get there. I, I mean, you know what they'll do, Nick? They'll trade it. And I've talked to many guys about this, and I actually think this would be a great way to do it. Eliminate two preseason games, okay? Get rid of two of them, which yeah, players yeah, hate yeah, anyways. Yeah, the okay. owners like them because they make money, but no, if they got an like, 18th or 17th game, they would be fine with it. Go have a scrimmage in the middle of like a, a two-team scrimmage for a day. Make a carnival fair out of it. They, they come to towns where they don't have NFL teams. For example, Jacksonville and Atlanta could work out and have a yearly thing in Valdosta, Georgia, to give everybody who can't get to those cities to watch games a day. They all go there. They become NFL fans. Tampa and Miami could do it like in, in, in Fort Myers or something. Uh, you could do that all over the country and get these, these scrimmages in, you know, after you have a couple weeks of camp, do that. And then you have two preseason games, and you add one or two regular season games, maybe not two because of the health reasons, and then you give more time off. You give them two extra. You get two bye weeks instead of one. I'm telling you, it, it's going to happen. It will happen, and the players will agree to it if they give them more money. Wait, but don't you think bye, if, bye. if it's two less preseason games, like doesn't that like there have been so many guys that have made teams based on what they've done in the preseason? You're going to eliminate that now. Like that's like you go undrafted, you get two preseason games only to show. I I I, I don't like. You increase the. They'll offer that too. They'll increase the rosters. They'll increase the roster size as part of that debate. You know, you, you'll go to to 60 guys and keep 60 players uh, on the active roster. They'll do something like that. That way you'll see those guys that you talk about, they'll make the team anyway. But, Nick, I walk around every camp I go to, and I, I talk to GMs and go to Stan, I go, I could cut your team right now, basically, with the exception of you know four or five guys. And just the, most of those guys are dependent on what they do on special teams. It's not hard. These guys have been here since, you know, most of them since April, and then counting the rookies and the veterans have been around. They know what they can do. Uh, it's not hard to cut cut teams now there are rare there are exceptions where like a guy like marcus Colston, i remember when he came out and uh, with the saints he was a you know a, what a seventh round pick and nobody knew what he could do and all of a sudden he burst on the scene and uh, he made the roster so yeah it can happen but for the most part these teams can be cut now all right moving back to uh the zeke Elliott stuff i just want to point out that we don't know this is where it stemmed from but charles robinson who wrote the original story and charles robinson is as everybody knows a very good reporter for yahoo sports um, he said, I assume this is in response to the NFL PA, the NFL statement is in response to our story. Um, Robinson ad- obtained a, a, some text message exchanges between, um, Thompson, uh, Thompson, who's the accuser, uh, in the case and, um, and, or, and like one of her friends, Tiffany Thompson, Zeke's ex-girlfriend and one of her friends. And it, this is from page 74 in the NFL's appendix accompanying the 160 page report, according to Charles who's, again, you trust as a reporter. It says, Thompson, Thompson said, what if I sold mine and Ezekiel sex videos? The friend says, we'd all be millionaires, and then said, we could blackmail him with that, to which Thompson replied, I want to, bro. She said, let's do it. Yeah, but was that before or after the fact? Before or after the... It's wrong. It's wrong either way, but is it before or after the fact? Is it before 
the incidents or, or after the incidents? Uh, September 21st, 2016. So it's after, correct? Yeah, it'd be after. Yeah, so it's it's very okay. well. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, so she's obviously if she got if she was if, if indeed what they say happened, she's a victim who's angry. I'm, I'm yeah. not saying she's right. Yeah, but she, no, it, no, it I happened. Agree, yeah. All right, so so you know, look, there's a there's going to be a lot of stuff going back and forth here, and the NFL and the people and the media have to be careful. There is a victim here. If indeed she's a victim, she's a victim. If she's not a victim, and it's all made up. In which you know it doesn't sound like it is. Then he's the victim. Either way, they got to be real careful here. Look, the reason the NFL came out so strongly here in my mind, and I haven't talked to anybody in the league office, but the reason they have is because victim shaming, if indeed that's what they view this to be, is a horrible, horrible thing. And they made the point there that that's why victims don't come forward. Well, you know, one of my favorite quotes from the Bible, more shall be revealed, and we will certainly see what happens as it concerns Zeke with the the hearing set for the end of August before the regular season starting. So as of right now, Pete, Zeke's out six games. Let's assume that it's six or four, either one, right? Uh, Will and I spoke about it on Monday and how with being without Zeke is going to hurt Dallas for their early season schedule. So I'm going to give it to you here in case you don't know it off the top of your head. They get the Giants week one at Denver. At Arizona, home against the Rams, that's the first four. And then if it's six, home against the Packers at San Francisco. How big a deal is it on field for those six or four games if there's no Z? Well, it's a big deal because he's one of their better players. So it's always obviously going to be a big deal. But they also, you know, we're going to find out how, if that offensive line is indeed what makes the whole thing go. Um, and and it's, it does. Um, because McFadden had success behind, you know, a similar offensive line. Not the exact same one because obviously there, there are new guys on that line. Uh, Lyle Collins moving the right tackle, being one of them. But uh, when I look at it, I think, you know, look, we'll, we'll find out more about the Cowboys and how they throw it rather than than now him there. I mean, you're still going to run the ball with McFadden and Morris and those guys, but now it's on Dak. It, you know, we, we, we there were a lot of people around the league that have anointed Dak the next great one. Well, this is going to be the first start to take a peek and see if indeed he can do that. Uh, I think he can. I think he's going to be a good player down the road. Um, I think we need to slow it just a tad on him, but he's going to be a good player down the road. Speaking of the next great one, everyone knows that the next great Browns quarterback is Brock Osweiler, the The rock lobster. The lobster. Brock lobster. Uh, Pete, Joe Thomas thinks that the Browns are grooming Brock Osweiler to start week one. What say you? I don't believe it. I do (laughs) not believe it. I think he's a disaster waiting to happen. But, um, you know, they might be in a situation where they don't want to throw the, the rookie Kaiser in there right away. Uh, you know, Kaiser uh, threw the ball around very well, looked poised, stepped up in the pocket like a, a veteran quarterback and made some throws and reads. Uh, and I think, you know, talent-wise, he was he should have been a first-round pick. There were guys that were turned off by some of the things he did, meetings and, and so forth, and in his personality. But uh, just play the kid. I, I say it all the time. Play the kid. You know what you got, Brock Osweiler. And you, ha- you don't have a franchise quarterback there. You might have one in Kaiser. Um, so I'm a big believer in, look, they can talk all they want about Brock Osweiler. Hugh Jackson's not afraid to roll a dice. If he thinks Kaiser's ready, he'll put him in there and play him. But obviously Osweiler stinks, right? And he was so bad in the preseason. Will, what was his line after the game? Like, no one's ever completed a pass that was thrown out of bounds. You're the (laughs) one throwing the pass out of bounds, Mr. Lobster. I mean, bad stuff. I just think it makes sense, though, to start Osweiler week one against the Steelers, right? I don't know if that's a fair spot to toss Kaiser in for his first career start. And I think, quite frankly, for as bad as Osweiler is, are we sure that he's worse than Cody Kessler? 
All that's going to happen in this game, he's going to hand off a ton to Isaiah Crowell. You've got some weapons in the passing attack. He's not good. But maybe, just maybe, Brock Osweiler gives the Browns the best chance to compete and or win week one at home against Pittsburgh. Uh, we have a we have a thing that some of our friends in Raleigh do, like a rule, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, Nick, and I realize you just did this, but I'm going to need you to do it again. If you could say that out loud, say Brock Osweiler gives Ready? the Browns I'll their best chance to win. In week number one, at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Brock Osweiler gives the Browns a better chance to win than either Cody Kessler or Deshaun Kaiser. There, I said it. it no, he doesn't. It didn't feel no, he good doesn't. I said it. Who's, no, he doesn't. Who gives them a better chance to win? Play the kid. Get on with it. He, he I, clearly, as bad as as bad as you know, he might be from a mental standpoint early in his first game. He's still better than Osweiler. Get on with it. Get him out of there. They're not going to look. This is a team not building for playing for this year. They're building for something, so they may as well play Kaiser. And I think they will. I think Hugh Jackson will pull the trigger. He's going to outplay him the rest of the preseason. They're going to realize it, and he's going to be the starting quarterback. I think the important thing here is that someone makes a note to send to the, the podcast producers, and at that point, uh, we, we, we grab this, we grab this, uh, this audio, and we play it after week one, when Brock Osweiler goes five for 40, is sacked five times, throws four picks, and the Steelers fall at the Browns, uh, 48 to three. I just, just need the Browns to cover the spread. They're gonna be like plus nine, and Pete, you know that I am taking them. More on our Vegas trip this past weekend coming up in moments. We will be competing against the spread all season long. Can't wait for it. Now, some might say huh? that Brock Osweiler has a dead arm, but you know who actually might have a dead arm? That would be Blake Bortles, Pete, your boy from Jacksonville, Mr. Bortles, um, didn't get all the first team reps on Sunday. Doug Marone sat him down. Chad Henney got in and Marone mentioned the fact that he might have a dead arm. Bortles saying, it's good. I feel all right. This, of course, coming in the wake of Allen Robinson being caught on film on Tuesday as, as Bortles sails a pass over his head out of bounds saying, F, F it, man. Why can't you keep the effing ball in bounds? So, Pete, um, as it concerns Blake Bortles, um, dead arm or live arm, uh, the bottom line is he's not very good, and this can't end well, it seems like, for Jacksonville with Bortles under center. I watched them Monday work out with the Bucks when I was back in Jacksonville. I went to the practice, joint practice, and he actually had some pretty good things he did in that practice, but he was benched on Sunday. They, they sugar-coated it all they wanted to. But he was pulled out of there because he threw two pick sixes in an 11 on 11 or 7 on 7 drill. However, after talking to some people at the front office, one of the picks was because one of the receivers ran the wrong route. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily, you know, just on him. Uh, but he, he's been very inconsistent. There's been some really good days and there's been some really bad days. And in fact, in that same practice against the Bucks where he, where he, you know, had some problems at times, he made a nice, uh, you know, the two minutes really hit, um, I think it was Hearns on the inside on a quick slant for a touchdown. So, you know, he's done some good things. He's done some bad things. That's who he is. But I said this on, you know, up there in Jacksonville on Monday. They got to let him play quarterback. You know, you can't allow a guy to go onto the field and every single time he takes the field, scream in his ear, don't turn it over, don't turn it over. Because what's he going to do? He's going to turn it over. Nobody can play tight. Anybody who's ever played sports knows that. I remember when I was in high school, I had a basketball coach. He'd sit there and he'd yell at me. He'd go, don't take a bad shot. Don't take a bad shot. Don't take a bad shot. Well, then I'd come and I'd take a shot from about 22 feet, and, and it would rim off, 
that was a good shot. He thought it was a bad shot. He yanked me. Well, the next time I went in, I was a little more reluctant not to take that shot, right? Well, uh, so that's what's going to happen. So they got to. They, they want this whole idea they're going to run the ball and protect the quarterback. And well, now he's a little hesitant to throw the football. And you can see that when you watch him. He's not the same, he's not the same guy he was you know, in 2015 when he just let it rip. Was he good then? No. Could he be good enough? Absolutely. They've got to get out of that, get out of that whole idea that uh, you, know, he's a, he's, you don't turn it over, don't turn it over, because that's the worst-case scenario for him. My big takeaway from that rant, Will, is that they had basketball in the 1920s. When did Dr. James Naismith invent basketball, Will? What was that, like the late 1800s when, 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 Pete, was, uh, when Pete was a young boy? Uh, I got on the trampoline and, and tore down the peach basket a couple times with my <laughs> slams. I did a reverse slam and tore down the peach basket, and Dr. Naismith looked at me and he said, you know what, you're a point guard, quit jumping like that, okay? My, my big takeaway was that you have some deep-seated anger from your basketball coach that you let vent out on the, yes, out on the golf right, course, like, and that's why you yell I quit. I quit. I quit my basketball team my senior year. Hold on, wait, wait, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold the podcast. Do you know what would what Pete would say if you or I will said at any point in our life that we quit anything, much less? Yeah, I'm sorry. What are you doing? Oh, I'm Princeton. I need my loafers. Go back to my farm. No. I'm I'm Nick Costas, no, you, and I you're wrong. So I you're quit. wrong, Costas. Because if I'm not starting, I'm departing, dude. I mean, that's always been my. I'm it's good for, for me. Is good for me. I played football, right? And he used to, in basketball practice, started in October. Well, football didn't end in November. And he'd always sit there and he'd, he'd like, sidle up to my dad. He'd go, you know, Pete's got to give up that football if he wants to be, be my point guard. And my dad would go, he ain't giving it up. So by the time I got to basketball, he'd always try and take my job. Junior year I started. Senior year, he, yeah, I come back and he goes, I'm going to give your job to somebody else. And I go, why? I'm better than him. And so the next thing I know, senior year, I'm in, like, maybe January 15th or something. I said, you know what? He keeps jerking me in and out. I'm not playing anymore. I don't need this. So I walked him in to the thing. I said, hey, Jim. His name was Jim Dillon, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, and I said, hey, Jim, I'm done. He goes, what do you mean you're done? I go, I ain't playing for you anymore. I go, this is garbage. I should be the point guard and should never should play like 30 minutes. I shouldn't have to come out as much as you try and yank me in and out. So I'm done. He goes, well, Pete, or the way he said, he goes, Petey, I always had high respect for your basketball line. What do I need to do to make this team better? And I said, Well, for one, put me in the lineup for thirty minutes. And I walked out, and I had a great rest of the senior year. Sounds like you were. <laughs> yes, I quit. Sounds like you were a chucker at point guard who couldn't get the uh, who couldn't get the I shot. Was great, I was a great passer and a, a really good shooter, and still am a really good shooter, even at the age of fifty-seven. I would contend that I am one of the, if not the best, one of the best three-point shooters in the media. So, if anybody wants to take me on, bring it on, baby. There's actually an incredible story, Nick, about we were at the owners' meetings. I think it was like four or five years ago, and uh, Mike Garofalo, now of uh, NFL Network, comes walking by and he's in like gym clothes. So we're going to shoot some hoops. Anybody want to play? I'm like, nah, yeah, I don't, you don't want to see me play basketball. Pete's like, I might come over there and play. And he's like, you're in jeans and and, and flip flops, Pete. Pete's like, yeah, it's fine. Pete goes over there and they play horse, and Pete paddles him wearing flip-flops and jeans in an outdoor Arizona basketball court. And Garofalo's in, like, full workout regalia. Pete came back grinning, like, chest popping, bobbing and weaving, laughing about how he'd take it down Garofalo. The point being is Pete may actually be 
the best three-point shooter in the media. And, and also, I'm a good shooter. And, and also, it's worth noting, we will praise Pete later in the pod when we do our Vegas review. But Pete, and I mean this sincerely, the youngest 56-year-old man walking the planet right now. More on that coming up in a little bit. But I want to wrap the Bortles conversation up here. Because you look at Jacksonville's roster, I've been saying this, 1 through 52, pretty damn good. But that 53, the quarterback position, bad. Pete, should Coach Tom Coughlin and his assistant, Doug Marone, bench Blake Bortles and play Chad Henney? Absolutely not. No? But if four games in, things are going bad. The players want Bortles out, Pete. Like, they want him out. Chad Henney is atrocious. You, Anybody who's ever watched Chad, you, one thing about Bortles, for all the crap he's gone through the last two years, he's still thrown 63 touchdown passes in two seasons. I mean, Chad Henney stinks. No. But if he goes bad in four games, then you yank him and play him and, and go from there. Yeah. But, you know, look, it's a bad situation. They need a quarterback. They're going to get a quarterback next year. They know it. They only have, But the problem with that scenario is they only got two years to win. I think those two guys are both be in trouble if they don't win in the next two years. Uh, yeah, out of this great portal stinks. Jaguars are in trouble. Uh, it's going to be. It's By the way, be... they do have a bunch of they do have a bunch of rules and regulations that they've instilled again in that place. So I saw Coughlin. I go, geez, Tom, it's just like old times. All these damn rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And he looked at me. He goes, and you can't talk to the media anymore. He stormed off. Like yeah. it is just like old times. You'll never change. You're 70 years old. You will never change. Let's do some uh, quick hitter action here. First up, Delvin Bro out six weeks. They thought that he had a bruise in his sternum. They were trying to trade him. Turns out he's got a broken fibula. That's, I mean, like, Dr. I don't mean Dr. Nick Costas. I mean Dr. Nick from the Saints. Ready, from ready, the, from ready the Will? Simpsons. Ready, Will? Hi, everybody. Yeah, I mean, like, what are you doing here? How do you miss that? Uh, Pete, how, how worried are you about this defense at this point? The Saints might be the most paranoid injury team in the National Football League, by the way. I was there. Lattimore wasn't practicing their first-round pick. And, of course, you ask people, and they say, well, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you. And I'm like, why? You know, what's the point? Why don't you tell? Why don't these, te- they, these teams make these players out to look bad when they don't tell them what the injury is? I mean, Delvin, bro, they were talking about trading him because they thought he was being lazy and not working and playing through injuries. He had a broken leg because his doctors misdiagnosed him. You know, the doctors in the NFL over the years have misdiagnosed in a lot of situations. And I could speak to, um, when, I was at the ja- when I was at the newspaper in Jacksonville, we, did a, we had a whole series on the Jacksonville training staff and, and what went on there. And some of the players, their quotes were, it never hit the light of day, by the way. That's a whole other story. But well, some of their quotes were they called them the maiming staff. I mean, you know, it, the, there is, the medical situation, they try and do it as best they can, but it's not always the the best for these players. And, and in times, it makes the player look bad. Delvin Bro was being labeled as a malcontent who wouldn't play through injuries, and yet he has a broken leg. So uh, if, I'm not, if I'm Delvin Bro, I'd be, I'd be angry at the Saints for that one. Yeah, I know the NFL is generally old school as that concerns injuries, but hey, hey, kid, broken leg, we don't care. Get back in. Seems to be a little foolhardy and obviously wishing a speedy recovery for Delvin Bro. Pete, as we do and as we've done for quite some time for Jalen Smith, the Cowboys' second-round pick linebacker out of Notre Dame last year missed his rookie season after suffering a torn ACL and nerve damage in Notre Dame's Fiesta Bowl loss a couple years ago to Ohio State. Well, Jalen Smith set to make his NFL debut in the preseason this week for the Cowboys. If Jalen Smith, Pete, can give the Cowboys something this year at the linebacker position, I think, A, it'd obviously be, be great for Jalen Smith, for the young man, but could really, really add a new dimension to this Dallas defense. Can he put his hand on the ground and rush the passer? 
<laughs> I mean, I mean that's what they need. They don't. I mean, they don't necessarily need a linebacker. Although I'm happy for the kid. First and foremost, though, I mean, let's let's look at him from an individual player. He thought he might never play again, and he worked himself back. I mean, there was nerve damage. It was bad, and here he is ready to make his debut. Will he ever be the same player? We don't know that. You won't know until he gets on the field and actually goes and, and you know, makes tackles and, and runs and covers and everything else without really thinking about it. But just to get back out there, that's a major accomplishment. Uh, I hope he can get on the field and play. And is the guy we saw at Notre Dame. I don't know if he can be that, but if he is, the Cowboys have themselves a special player. The problem is they need help at other positions in front of them. Uh, Greg Williams raving about Miles Garrett. Speaking of pass rushers, this guy looking good. Greg Williams, I believe, said he's the most, basically the most, the best looking rookie that he's ever dealt with. Which, I mean, I'm going to blindly say is just not probably that accurate. I feel like he, um, I don't know. I mean, didn't he have like, didn't he, didn't he have Aaron Donald? Didn't he have Javon Curse? I was just going to say he had Javon Curse in Tennessee in 1999 when Curse was the freak. If Miles Garrett has the year. If Miles Garrett has the year that Javon Curse had as his rookie year, then 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 he's going to be truly a special player. Remember, I think Javon Curse had thirteen sacks in his rookie season, if I'm not mistaken. I thought he had more than that. I'm actually going to look it up right now. I got, look I it got up it. and see. I mean, the, the, I remember, you know, back in the day, he, he, yeah, like you said, he was the freak. Fourteen. Oh my! He, near, he nearly killed me once too. By the way, the freak. I was there that night. In fact, Javon Curse had his best year by approximate value. His rookie season. As a 23-year-old, 14 and a half sacks, 57 total tackles, eight forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and one fumble recovery returned for a touchdown. Now, real quick, now, sorry, we're... sorry, Greg, uh, Miles Garrett ain't going to get those numbers. Real, real quick, if, Miles Garrett, if Miles Garrett has those numbers, the Browns are going to flirt with the playoffs. Now, now, you guys remember the trivia contest that we did out in Vegas, um, so you guys know my penchant for NFL trivia. Now, I am not looking at the screen. Anything I promise. Will, can you get the box score from the wild card game, Tennessee-Buffalo, the Music City Miracle game that year? Javon Curse, I believe, sacked Rob Johnson in the end zone and had a safety in that game. Pete, do you, does that ring a bell for you? Did that happen? I think so. He either scored a defensive touchdown or forced a safety in, in that game. But while we, well, uh, there was a safety, well, there was a safety in the championship game that year against Jacksonville. It was the first score of the game, second quarter with 11-19 left. Javon Kerr, Zach Johnson in end zone, t- two nothing Tennessee. Who's who's better than me? I'm pretty good at that stuff, I will admit. But um, but Pete Miles Garrett should be Frank Schwab. Frank Schwab is better. Fra- you know what? <laughs> I, in, all, in all honesty, Frank Schwab, our guy from Yahoo Shutdown Corner, great guy, love him absolutely. Will at the very, he's not better than me. I think we can call it a push. Fair. I give you that. Me, okay. We'll yeah, but you him. know what? During that playoff run, by the way, Javon Kerr was the defensive lineman on that team in that run because Josh Evans was later admittedly amped up on amphetamines was out of his mind that right. year. All right. Vegas talks he was unbelievable. Pete, Vegas talks still to come, but let's uh, talk some gambling here um, in terms of Super Bowl bets. Uh, this is not surprising, I guess, because I feel like people make in, in large groups make bad decisions. Um, more Super Bowl bets placed on the Oakland Raiders than any other team. People, I feel like, begging to lose their money, no? Well, there's also now the allegiance to in Vegas to the team, right? I mean, so they're Raider fans, so they're betting on their own team. More of an allegiance to the almighty dollar than there is, I think, these soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, but not the casual fan who goes and puts $20 on the team and hopes they win. That's what that is. Come on, Nick. You know better than that. What do you think? The only only people that bet are in Las Vegas? I mean, these bets come from everywhere. But instead, wasn't the story only in Vegas? Is that the story, Will? In which case, I could be mistaken. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, the story is. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I assume it's. Yes, last it week. is. I mean, I, one would assume that that's the case, um, given that you know it's you have to you have to be in Vegas to make the bets. But yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, oh, actually, you know what this is? It's not. It's more Super Bowl bets, and people are hammering the over of nine um, nine and a half games, and it looks like. But see, this is crazy because the Raiders have the second best odds of winning the Lombardi. Like, like this is dumb. Like, you should be betting on the Pats, not the Raiders. Vegas casinos say Raiders drawing most bets to win Super Bowl. Yeah, right. More people. So Vegas. Yeah, lunacy. So, so, so there you go, uh, Nick. They're fans of the team. I, I there's like- way. There's way more degenerates in Las Vegas than Raiders fans. I just like the fact that Pete like took like two seconds to try and think of some insult to denigrate me and came up with Nick, which is my first name. Thank you very much, Pete. Um, I would say Oakland's not even in the top two. Nicholas Coster, Costas, Nicholas Costas, please. Can you uh, pick up the white paging phone? It's time for you to get your flight, and you've been out all night. Oh, man, and that, and that, and that definitely did happen. Well, the Vegas trip talk coming up in a little bit, but, Will, we've got some stuff on the Tennessee Titans here, starting with your guy Mike Malarkey making an interesting decision regarding a practice next week. Yeah, Mike Malarkey's going to move the schedule because of the solar eclipse that's coming up next Wednesday. Kind of- I believe that the Titans are actually the largest metropolitan city in the way of the solar eclipse that – could just look. I mean, really, if we're lucky, um, maybe just burns the whole earth to the ground, and then we just start fresh, right? Like at this point, um, you know, I'm just kidding. I, 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 that's how. I, that is how I would have. I would have been down for that about Sunday at, at 2 p.m. I think um, Eastern time when I was in the air coming back from Vegas. Maybe even Monday morning when we were trying to figure out this podcast. Uh, but now I'm I'm feeling a refreshed, a renewed. Um, sense of life so i don't i don't want the solar eclipse to burn us but it could it did mike Larkey didn't want it to burn them either so he's moving practice and that leads us to talk about the panthers and the titans no wait a second he's moving it because he wants his team to go out and see it well exactly that's uh, yeah, the, yeah but that's what yes and i, and I think that well let, now let me tell you something as a guy who was here in 1979 when we had the last one you guys clearly don't remember it or we were um but yeah i have bad vision because i looked at it my wife ordered they arrived today. Mine did. Mine did too. And I told her, I said, we get some of those uh, those bootleg ones, and we're going to be blind for the rest of our life. I'm not looking at it. I don't give a crap. Wait, so wait I don't who cares. T- wait, tell me the story. Had to look- looking at it, like what happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can go blind. Why, Why do you think they have the special glasses for? You think you, you, they made all this money on special glasses so you could look at it without having them on? I thought they made all this money on special glasses because all of our wives are idiots. <laughs> I mean, just, why are they, why would, my wife sent me the text today, she goes, I got a special glasses. I go, I don't care, I don't, I'm not looking at it, I don't care. What do I care for? I was around in 79, I've seen it before, don't care. Um, seen, don't give a crap. I've seen one solar eclipse, I've seen them all. Yeah, get that solar, get off my lawn, solar eclipse. Um, hey, actually, hey I, I can show you both a nice moon if you want to see one. By the way, I, just a little tease, because I'm working on this story on, are the Titans ahead of the curve in football? And I've been working on it as I go through training camp with the defense against the ball. Mike Malarkey says he didn't. He didn't come up with exotic Smash Mouth. He didn't make that up. That's not his. It's from the, when he was when he was the offensive coordinator with the Steelers, right? But he didn't make. He's not the one who came up with that, though. Who is? Not him. Oh, I guess I said to, maybe he was like defensive that. about it. I said, well, maybe he didn't come up with it, but you sure have embraced it here. <laughs> I mean. You know, and he has, and so I'm I'm doing something on that. By the way, one quick Titans note: talk to Mariota today. 
and he says he's all the way back. But I watched him scramble out of the pocket on a play, and he didn't look like he was all the way back to me. Now, I heard early in camp from some of the people I talked to, he was a little – he wouldn't put his foot in the ground and plant it, and his balls were a little high and out of whack, and he's gotten a lot better over the last couple of weeks. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, one, you know, there's no adrenaline in practice. You know what I mean? When you get in the game, all that stuff in your head goes out the window. But he looked to me like – he uh, yeah he could still throw the ball and he was spinning it pretty good but he can he looked to me like when he took off outside the pocket that he he, he was a little he was different let's just put it that I want gingerly's not the word but he, maybe he was a little different it didn't look like the same long strider that we saw last year before the injury how high so, and out of whack were his balls Pete <laughs> well he, he threw he threw good good passes let's put it that way and Christian McCaffrey was killing dudes today by the way killing uh, dudes McCaffrey second um. He, uh, so is Deshaun Watson the most trustworthy quarterback, like health wise, in the in the in, in non Bortles crap wise in the AFC South at this point? Well, he might not even. I didn't. I heard he had a pretty average day yesterday against the Patriots, though. So um, you know, you got to. We we like to jump on, and you remember Wentz was the next coming for after three games last. You got to slow everything down. So, slow it down. So what do you think? What is your again? We're going to recap for a second. What is your take on the Titans as a whole? having spent time there, because to me, given the Andrew Luck injury and the concern about Luck being ready even week one or, or later, um, the concern about Bortles being able to be a competent quarterback, and then the Texans start with you know, questionable offensive line and, and starting either Tom Savage or a rookie quarterback, and the Titans have eked well ahead as, as the clear favorite for me, despite all the hype. Um, is that justified? The, the only weakness that I see on paper is the um – is the corner position. I mean, and they drafted a Dory Jackson. I think he's going to be a good player, but he's not starting yet. He will eventually. But but the secondary has some issues. You know, uh, that to me is the biggest concern. Other than that, that's a darn good football team. I mean, but they also have to learn how to win in the division. What was their division record last year? They've struggled in the division, uh, which has hurt them the last couple of years. They got to learn. You know, they went to Jacksonville late in the season and lost. They lost to the Colts, didn't they, last year? So they got to learn how to win in the division. I still think they're the best team in the division right now, uh, and they will run the ball. I mean, there's no doubt about that. They will get after it. One other side, real quick, i got to tell this story. I talked to Luke Keekley today for a story I'm doing as well. And John Beeson, our buddy who works with us on Sundays. I love John Beeson, of course. Last year, i got to put this out, I got to put this out there. <laughs> last year we were watching the game, week one, we had a receiver – not get his foot down. He got one down and didn't get the other one down. And we all went, he's out, he's out. And John said, oh, no, he, he got two rights in. He, got, he tapped the right, 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 right foot right. twice. <laughs> and we went, you got to get both feet down, John. So today, you know, and since right, right has become a, a weekly thing in that room, every time somebody's close to the sideline, we all stand up and we all look at John and go, right, 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 right. Well, today I told Luke Keekley, you play with John Beeson. I said, you got to give him crap about this. And he looked. This look on his face was priceless when I told him, "Right, right." Oh. And he said, "Well, we are we are kind of linebackers, you know." And I said, "But you got to text him and give him crap." So he's going to text John and give him crap about right, right. So, so <laughs> this is what's so funny about like that room that Pete referenced. It's the green room here in the CBS Interactive Studios in Fort Lauderdale, where it was really like it's me, Pete. 
Jamie Eisenberg from Fantasy Football Today, Dave Richard from Fantasy Football Today. It's really the four of us as the ringleaders, and then we had Beeson was there as well last year. So it was really like the five of us. There were other characters as well, but we are the five main main players in that. And it really did become a rallying cry the entire year. So whenever someone was close, you get Pete, Pete like right, right, and then all of a sudden Beeson would get pissed. It was it was just really, really, really freaking fun. And John played along with it. He plays along with it the whole year. So it's kind of it's it, that will will not go away. Week one, somebody goes to the sideline. What are we all going to say? Right, right. If there's one thing about that room, I know that it's just that something is going to be beaten like a dead horse throughout oh, the entire season. Constantly. And, 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 yeah. and, and yes. Like, like you'll hear that for, for 17 weeks this year. Pete, one more question for me on the Titans. How surprised are you that we, we're here on the eve of the 2017 season and you've had nothing but good things to say about Mike Malarkey and the way he's running his team? Like, I, you never would have guessed that it would have come to this and things could have gone this well thus far in the Malarkey regime, right? No, I would not. And, and and another thing that I've been talking to people up here is that he's changed. He's adapted. He even mentioned that to me today. He's he's adapted. He's not the same guy he was before he got the job. And I give him credit for that. I mean, you know, he's a he, – he, he, look, they got a good football team. He knows what he wants to do. He wants to run the football. He wants to throw up play action. They still got a ton of big plays last year. That's the misconception about their running game last year. They got a ton of big plays. And he kind of pointed that all out, and I said, yeah, but you did lead the league in rushing on first down last year, so you're not going to get away from what you do. That's who they are. But I give him credit. The guy's adapted a little bit, and his players like him more. So, how do you like him you now? When your players re- what they, how do you like me now? They like him a lot more than they did a couple of years ago. All right, what about let's go to Christian McCaffrey. You mentioned he's killing dudes. I saw a, a friend of the program, Bill Voth of Panthers.com, posted a video recap for the Panthers' action on, on Wednesday and he is indeed, indeed, Christian McCaffrey is indeed breaking dudes' ankles. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you to see Christian McCaffrey utilizing that Panthers offense, Pete? Uh, ten. I'm a you know, look. If you're well, if you're going to get a running, if you're going to get a running back, that's the kind of running back you get. Air back. I've been saying that. You know me. I'm a big. I've been preaching that for a long time. I want my backs be able to play in air, and he can play in air. The problem is. The quarterback didn't play in. I mean, the quarterback took snaps in individual drills today and made it through a few passes, but not much more than that. And, and you know, when you talk to the Panthers, they expect them to play maybe next week in the preseason. But like in Indianapolis, there's concern about the, the quarterbacks. We, I asked this question today. Would you rather have Mariota's leg injury or Cam's shoulder injury? I would rather have Mariota's leg injury, I think, mainly because I would. Me too. I would I would trust that Mariota can be a pocket passer even with a leg injury. The throwing shoulder and a rotator cuff is something that could be a long term injury and you know a short term problem for him throwing the ball in twenty seventeen. I agree. I'd rather have the leg injury. Um, but you'd rather be you think Cam is at a better spot than Andrew Luck, right? I think Cam's further along than Andrew Luck. I think Andrew Luck might miss week one. Uh, you know, I, nobody's told, nobody's told me that, but I, I think he's going to miss. I think he might miss week one. Now he could, you know, they could push it, but what's the point, you know? And then there's the other talk that did he have this surgery on his own because you know it had been bothering him for a couple years. Are people uh, saying and, you know? Yeah, I mean, he got he, it was. You could clearly tell that he was something was up with his shoulder, sure. uh, and and so you look, you might as well get it fixed. But I, I think he'll play. He's a competitor, but I don't know if he's going to be there in week one. I think Cam is there week one. Yeah, I know. I think Cam will be there week one too. Wait, are you are you saying that you've heard that Andrew Luck 
Are you saying like he went rogue or that he was like, listen, guys, my shoulder. I think he went, listen, I'm, I'm enough with this. I'm enough with the therapy. I'm going to, I'm going to have my surgery. Yeah. Um, I, he didn't go rogue, but I think he made the decision ultimately. And maybe they probably, you know, maybe wanted him to go rehab. I don't know. I've heard that from people in the league as I travel around. I don't know if that nobody in Indianapolis has told me that, but um, you, yeah, there is that out there. Do you think that that was a thing that happened before or after the GM uh, swap? Well, when did he have his surgery? Check and see when he had his surgery. You got to check the date. I think but it was either way, either way, I mean, it's, it's his body, it's his arm. He can do what he wants with it. If he wants surgery, he can have surgery. All right, so Jim Arce revealed he had surgery on January 19th. Grigson was fired after that, right? Yeah, he was fired after that, so there you yeah. go. Wow. Grigson was fired on January 20th. Wow. That's, this is, I mean, well, that, that changes everything. Interesting. All right, well, we'll make a note of that, and um, maybe we'll do a write-up, Pete. I'll get all the traffic for it, but you'll get credit for it. Don't, don't attribute that to me because well, I'm telling you that it's something that people have been telling me. I don't know if for a fact. When you, you typical journalistic Brinson trying to write a story out of something that I tell him secondhand. Well, to like, be fair, you, I, you, you, you did tell him on a podcast that people are going to listen to. I said yeah, that. They could tell, I'm tell, and I preface it by saying that's what people in the league have told me. That's not something I'm reporting, okay? I'm, 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 I was reporting I'm, it. I'd write, a, I'd write a story on it, so don't write a post on it. Well, but no, but I think it, I think I think that makes a lot more sense. It's like Grigson. I mean, Grigson deserved. Nobody's surprised that Grigson got fired. But if Andrew Luck was like, "Bleep you! I'm having this surgery," and Grigson, you know, all of a sudden, well, Jim that, we don't know if that's the case though. So you don't. You can't. You're speculating. That's what I was going to do. I was going to speculate. Um, wildly speculate was going to be the plan. All right. Speaking of wildly speculating. We speculated on a few things while we were out in Vegas, a few preseason games. We speculated, speculated the ish out of Las Vegas. It was great. I, I speculated 100 bucks on a Game of Thrones slot machine, Pete. Thanks for uh, I, thanks. You guys are so happy that I turned you on to All that right, slot so, machine. So, I, I, so I'm trying to think of where, where to start here. Let's start with the Game of Thrones slot machine. And you know, what, you know what? How about this? Quick Game of Thrones thought from this week, and then we'll get into the Game of Thrones slot machine as the segue. Um, Game of Thrones this week, me disappointed. Didn't like the opening with Bron and Jamie getting out of the, the frickin' river. And um, didn't like the opening with Bron and Jamie getting out of the river and... Like Daenerys, no, no one's looking for them. Like that was weird. Sam just goes into the restricted area of the Citadel fifty times, and there's no one ever there looking for him. Like there were things in this episode that did not make any sense, and almost nothing happened. Um, not great from Game of Thrones this week, in my opinion. I would agree with you one hundred percent. I thought it was a terrible episode. Um, I, I did like uh, the, the dragons burning alive the two guys to open it, though. That had a little sizzle to it, if you want to use that expression. Um, but yeah, I thought the episode as a whole was pretty crappy. I thought, you know, it was almost like they were, they for, they wanted to extend the year with an extra episode and didn't have anything else to write, and they just wrote the crap they wrote the other day. It was a bad episode. I agree 100%. The, right, two things that stand out to me about it. One, we are so used to, so the extra three episodes that are usually built into a season Having taken those out, and it's now a seven-season episode, and we're coming out this Sunday is going to be the penultimate episode of, uh, of the season. Those three episodes, removing them has given this feel like it's sort of like it doesn't feel the rhythm feels off. Not only are people traveling around the show and and and, and the timing of stuff, but it, it 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 makes one of these episodes, which is a necessary you know movement to set up a big action shot episode. It makes it feel weird. And then the other thing that, that I can't get over that is driving me crazy is this stupid, stupid, stupid 
idea by Jon Snow that they need to go into the into the wilderness and find are they trying to find a dead person or a white walker? I think it's a white walker. It's like a let's white just walker, go yeah. let's go kill a white walker and bring it to Cersei. That seems like the most efficient use of our time. And of course, very easy to do if you take seven or eight people and go and look for a White Walker. This is the dumbest idea I've seen in the entire series. It no, drives no, me nuts. It's but, such but, a but stupid, said, stupid plan. But with that said, isn't it kind of cool, guys, though, that you've got here? And tell me if I miss anybody. You've got John Gendry, Jorah Mormont, Thoros of Mir, the Hound. Beric Dondarrion, and I think that there's one more person that, like, an obvious name that I'm forgetting right now, but it is an awesome, oh, and, and, and Tormund, the, the, the big red bearded guy. That is a sick, sick, like, it's the Magnificent Seven. Like, it, it's pretty cool that those are the guys that are going out there. So I think next week's yeah. episode, like, the idea is stupid. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Could good. the dragons just fly over the, the, the White Walkers and, and burn them to death? Probably, but that would, that would take a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, <laughs> what the I mean, I mean, you got three dragons that can't be stopped. Just go burn the White Walkers and that's the end of it and get back to fighting each other. Surely there's got to be some situation where, I mean, like. But it's right. The dragons, there's got to be something where the dragons couldn't just burn them. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think. Nick, you read every every damn book. Is there anything that says that the dragons can't burn the White Walkers? The only thing that it says in the book is that dragon glass kills the White Walkers, not necessarily dragon fire. Right. Well, there were but, dragons but, left over when the last White Walkers got beat the leap back to, across the wall. So you would one would think that the dragons were capable of taking care of them. That's a great point, Pete. I didn't even thought about that. Just all right. Well, no, the problem is right now because Samwell is so freaking uh, he's too impatient. He can't learn his craft. Is that you? You don't have enough people to control the three dragons, right? Can you? Don't you need someone riding the dragon to control it, or can you just set them loose on these dead people in the White Walkers? Loose end. I think you know. I think that John will be one of the people, as we know, John's a Targaryen, and that was the big reveal is that is that Rhaegar had his marriage annulled, and it, that would make his marriage to Lyanna, who is Ned's sister, legal, which means that not only is Jon Snow not a bastard, but Jon Snow has a better claim to the throne than Daenerys does as Rhaegar's son. So that was obviously well, and also the, the fact that he was able to pet the dragon and he liked it. He could tell him he's he knows he's a Targaryen. Pete, do you I, think the dragon would, would the dragon let Pete pet him? Yes or no? I'd put a big stake right through the forehead of that damn thing, and he'd be squealing like he did when Bron put one in him. <laughs> I'd take him right down. I know you wouldn't. I thought you were like I would show up with a big stake and be like, "Here you go, dragon. This is a giant stake. This is actually you know what I do." I'd poison a person and feed him to him like he's a piece of meat, and then he'd die of the poison. See, I'm smarter than the dragon. Poison the meat, kill the dragon. Poison the meat, kill the dragon. Poison the meat, kill the dragon. Dragon's dead. Take over her army. Period. End uh, of story. Okay, another loose end from Pete there. I, I will say that it is annoying that that uh, Gilly was like, Yo, this is the like, like, like Samwell couldn't just listen to what she was saying. It had you right there, very close to it. I, like the I one time he's ever interrupted her or been rude to her, she's like revealing the biggest thing in the history of the show. Yeah, and that that bugged me. Um, I do think there is something. Remember that Aaron Rodgers theory we talked about previously? There is something to that about the three people writing it. Oh, oh I know what I, I was going to say. So, so I thought about this the other day, in, and I think I'm right about this, right? There's a there's a theory out there that um, – George R. R. Martin, or that Sam Well is George R. R. Martin. You know, he's telling the story. Blah, blah. You know that theory, right? Like that's out there. Okay. That's a that's something. But so the metaphor 
of George R.R. as Samwell in that very scene was pretty incredible because he gets so impatient at trying to be to take his time and learn in the library with all the books that he has to sprint out and go to war because people want war. They don't want they don't want this this patient uh, process. So I think that George R. R. Martin and Samwell are uh, are the same guy. Who, let me ask you this real quick. Who is the leader of the White Walkers? Have they ever established that? It's the Night King. Yeah, but who is he? He, was he clearly he, had to be he somebody. Was, no, he clearly had to be somebody before he was that guy. You know who I think well, he is? I think he's Brandon Starr. I think he's Brand. Don't hijack Rob Rob Pizzola's theory. Who's Rob Pizzola? That's my theory. I made it up. Do you think it's Brandon Stark? Shout, shout out to, to our buddy Rob Pizzola, who, uh, who has a great theory, was out with us in Vegas. That, well, cause the theory is, is that Bran is, has been every single brand throughout history, and it does make sense that it could have, maybe Bran doesn't know it yet, but I, I don't know how the hell it's gonna turn out. So, you know what? Game of Thrones was bad this week. Um, we can all agree on that. It looks like we'll have a better episode. Yeah, I wish the dragon would burn Bran too, by the way. Dragon! Dragon! Speaking of dragons. Okay. Dragons! Dragons! Alright, so, so we spent on Saturday, um, a solid hour, would you say, the three of us in Caesar's Palace playing the Game of Thrones slot machine, basically laughing hysterically for an hour, trying to get the dragons to appear on the screen. Um, that was oh, that is a good memory, guys. You owe me 30 bucks, too, by the way, Nick. I forgot about that. I should have collected 20, 22. 22. Yeah, 22. Hey. Yeah, 22.50, because I wouldn't split with you. Um, hey, by the way, that I hit the jackpot. And didn't you hit the jackpot too, Brinson, at one point? Yeah, exactly. The $100 jackpot? No, I don't think I, no, I, I think never hit the $100. I won, I think no, I, I did. 70 at one point. I was up 130 and it all went out the window, remember? Oh, it, <laughs> it, was oh, crazy. it went rotten real quick. I, I, it I guess, went rotten. It went rotten. You know what? That music stayed in my head for like three days and then the show came on. I'm like, God, where's my slot machine? I want my slot machine. You know why? You sit down at the slot machine, you expect to lose whatever you put in there, right? Although I did win $400 at, at slot, that slot machine in, in New Orleans when I was there um, a couple weeks ago. But that slot machine entertains you the entire time you're sitting there. So if you want to have a cocktail, you call the lady over, get a cocktail. You can sit there for at least, you know, 30 minutes or so unless, and, and get entertained, and it's well worth it. Unless so. you're in the dungeon, Pete. Describe to everyone what well, the Well, unless you're in the dungeon, is. when everybody in the place was like, <laughs> I sat down there the other day, and this guy sat next to me, and he started smoking. He's smoking. Okay, I don't mind smoking in the casino. But he stuck the damn thing right in my face. I looked at him. I go, dude. The other hand. He's playing one-handed with the with the thing in my face. I'm like, move it over to the other side. Come on. I, I got to tell you something about this Game of Thrones slot machine. First of all, like, I, you know, I've played slots before. This it's a game changer because not only is it Game of Thrones, it's kind of interesting. But they the casinos have wisely decided that instead of having like a crappy little bench stool in front of a thing that you have to pull a handle. You now have this thick leather chair. Like I would, I would sit in that chair all day, and you could sit in that chair. And there's, there's not just three little slots that you have to hit. There's six screens. I mean, you're, you're, it's you're over, you're overwhelmed with all the information that's coming your way, and you're trying to press the button, and, and you think like, you go through all this stuff, and you think you won fifty bucks, and then you look at it, you're like, oh, I won forty cents. It's, it's, it is a fascinating way that they have made them more interesting. But when, when the dragons come out, when Daenerys comes out and she's like, the dragons, and they make light up the wild card things, you can win like a hundred and something dollars on that thing. The guy, by the way, I saw this, the guy that Nick sat down initially, me and, me and Will were playing the two machines, and Nick found one on the other side, and he went rotten from the word gecko. Or earlier in the day, a guy over there won 
twelve hundred fifty bucks at that machine. Of course, it couldn't. It, it couldn't have been. You, on the other hand, are a loser. I mean, Pete, no one could have been a bigger loser than you, considering you were up one hundred and thirty and lost it. I mean, basically without winning once in a single a single swipe the the entire rest of the and- way. And by the way, listeners of this podcast could probably guess, but we can confirm we were rooting for Pete to lose that money. Um, no, oh, of course I mean, you were. Well, I know what, you were. What you do is the Pete Prisco, which is you say, you're, I hope you lose, hope you lose, and then after you lose, be like, you know, I really wish you had won. That would have been really great. Yeah, I, w- I wish you would have won the $100 that you lost, Nick. I really do. Um, a couple other things, because I, I got a roll here, unfortunately. Pete, um, I'm going to set the stage here. So Saturday night, we are in the Hangover Suite, and very much thanks, huge thanks to the people from Odd Shark. Extremely generous, sponsoring us, flying us out, paying for our hotel, paying for our drinks. They are just tremendous people. Kevin, Sean, Barry, and the gang, we love you guys. Great so, people. So we're in, the, people. we're in the Hangover Suite, and they hired a magician. Pete, who is wearing an obnoxious oh red blazer, and the magician comes over to us to do a trick. Pete looks into the magician's face and says, do you know what trick I'd like to see? And the magician No, goes, don't say that joke. <laughs> no, do not no, say no, that no, joke. No, 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 not that one. And Pete goes, and the guy goes, what's that? And Pete goes, I'd like for you to disappear. That was the joke. There's nothing worse than a magician, okay? I mean, look, I don't want to see you pulling cards out of my rear end. I really don't. Like, I mean, I just Why did it come to rear end? Like, who would do that? Why would, why, why would, I mean, why would it ever be rear ends? I mean, but, you know, here's the thing. We could look, do magic, see the food sitting right there at the buffet, turn that into some care so we can go back to the Game of Thrones slot machine. That's the kind of magic I want to see. You know, not this, uh, oh, get the car. And by the way, he did have a very, very good uh, assistant. His name was Nick Costas. Nick actually got roped into playing his assistant with his cards. And the look on your face, by the way, when he was like, you go, great, that's great. Then he walked away, and me and Nick stood there for 20 minutes saying, get this guy the hell out of here. All right, just yeah. a couple, a couple of things, because I, I, I got I to gotta roll. I got I to gotta film a video, and I got to look at some stuff. We've been on a long time, by the way. This yes. is a long podcast. Yes. So a, a couple quick notes here. Um, number one, funny things happened. The breakfast that we had on Saturday morning after the Friday night where we recounted everything that happened on Friday night was, was very funny. Um, the... Pete leaving the party at the Hangover Suite to make his early flight was great. Pete, final thing here. So you didn't hear this yet. So we leave the party, right? And Will's got an early flight, too, not as early as yours. We take the elevator down, and all of a sudden, Brinson's gone, right? He's nowhere to be found. I noticed this immediately. I'm like, where the hell's Brinson? I see him hiding behind a pillar, trying to sneak away. I ran over to him, grabbed him, brought him out. Will was out the entire night. Kudos to him. And honestly, Pete, like people listening now think like, oh, Pete, stodgy old man, get off my lawn. The youngest 56-year-old man on the planet who stayed with us, drink for drink, hour for hour, the entire trip, and was a hoot the entire time, Pete. So major kudos to you. So here's what I'm going to do. I, I got to go here. So can we end this podcast right now? What, what do we think? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, we can end it. Good podcast. All right, Pete. We will talk to you later, buddy. Will Brinson, tell the people how they can to get involved. Uh, oh, man, I didn't tell them at the beginning. Subscribe via iTunes. Leave a rate. Leave a review. Rate us five stars. Follow Prisco at Prisco CBS. Nick at the Costos. Me at Will Brinson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back for one more episode leading you. Dragons! In- <laughs>